Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, these are God's words. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain, beaten hill, brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough places smooth. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of Yahweh blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord Yahweh shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Amen. The census reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Well, Hezekiah had recognized that God putting off the Babylonian exile and captivity of uh, the people of Israel 15 years uh, was a mercy, a great mercy. And he said, the word of Yahweh, which you have spoken, is good. But the Lord was not done speaking yet. He was not merely putting off for 15 years the Babylonian captivity, rather the exile to Babylon and the 70 years there and the return from there are all part of a work that is a small, uh, they were all small part of the great work of bringing uh, to himself a people whose sins he would forgive, who would see and enjoy uh, his glory forever and ever, who would be carried by him uh, as baby lambs in his uh, in his bosom, held up in his arms to his chest, uh, and whom he uh, would lead tenderly. The wonderful picture, of course, uh, in Psalm 23, uh, with the Lord being our shepherd, and taking us through whatever is necessary, even the valley of the shadow of death, even the opposition of others, even correcting us with his rod, as well as leading us with his staff. To bring us at last to have uh, to have our dwelling with him forever, our returning to him forever in his house, and therefore his goodness and his steadfast love persecute us. They are hot on our heels uh, our whole life long. Uh, and so the word that Hezekiah had immediately heard from Isaiah was a momentary, temporary, or temporal, earthly, uh, mercy in chapter 39, but that which the Lord is doing uh, and speaking in particular. 
Uh, and so this language in the end of the last chapter, the word of Yahweh which you have spoken is good. And now we have a command to speak, verse 2, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. Uh, the command is plural. Uh, you can't see that in the English, but the imperatives, comfort, yes, comfort, in verse 1 are plural, and we have a plural response. Uh, in verses 3 through 5, we have one voice that responds with a word of comfort, a divinely ordered word of comfort. In verses 6 through 8, we have another voice. Uh, and then uh, in verses 9 through 11, we have uh, Zion commanded to be a third voice, a voice to all of the cities, all of the people of Judah, and all of the people indeed then, with Judah here uh, representing the people of God being the people of God. Zion being commanded to preach good news uh, to all of God's people. Uh, and so we have these three voices uh, that are going to speak to the heart of Jerusalem, that her warfare is ended and her iniquity pardoned. Well, how can this be? Israel is being corrected in large part of for diminishing the Lord's power, diminishing the Lord's holiness, diminishing the Lord's justice. Does the Lord now uh, set aside the warfare that she deserves, pardon the iniquity that is upon her by uh, treating his holiness as uh, somehow negotiable? Uh, no. The end of verse 2, For she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. Uh, now, this is um, foldedly or two-sidedly. Uh, when we just translate directly and try to pick uh, a word like two-sided, uh, a word to translate this word that means something like two-sided, it comes out sounding like uh, like God is extra punishing, as if God is as if God is unjust. But this idea of two-sidedness uh, is an idea of of completeness. Uh, and non-negotiability. Uh, we see it, for instance, in Ezekiel 2, verse 10, uh, where there's a scroll that's written on two sides. It was very unusual. Uh, scrolls at the time were written only on one side, uh, so that if there was error or there was need to uh, make revision or new information, you could put that on the back side. Uh, when the scroll is written on two sides, that means... There will be no revisions. There are no imperfections. There is no negotiation. This is the way it is. Uh, and so when he says, uh, for she has received from Yahweh's hand foldedly or two-sidedly for all her sins, he's saying that all of her sins will be completely and totally paid for without question, without, uh, without doubt. Uh, and that, of course, is going to be one of the great themes of the coming chapters, how the Lord does that. Uh, perhaps the uh, the most explicit and full detailed uh, explanation of Christ's atonement in the whole New, New Testament, or whole Old Testament will appear a few chapters from now in Isaiah 53. And so there's comfort, and there's comfort that comes from God's justice being satisfied, not set aside. There's comfort that comes from the wrath of God being poured out, not uh, negotiated. Uh, there's comfort that comes from the cross. Uh, and so the three voices, the comfort that they are announcing uh, is comfort that comes to us 
by and through the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, what do the three voices say? Well, voice one in verses three through five says, prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Uh, and here there is something in the conversion of a man, the work that God does in converting a man. Remember, Matthew chapter three says that when uh, John the baptizer comes uh, saying, be ye converted, that that's the fulfillment of this passage. Uh, and yet the picture of the passage is that which is uh, at the last day, the undoing of the creation itself, mountains um, being laid low, hills and valleys being lifted up, crooked places uh, being made smooth, the glory of Yahweh revealed, and all flesh seeing it together. And this is a great and almighty work beyond anyone's imagining. But that is what needs to happen uh, for someone to be united to Christ through faith. There is an almighty work that needs to happen. Now think about Isaiah 40 and 2 Corinthians 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says that he who called to light out of darkness may, would make the knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shine in their hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. And so he says that when, when God gives life to the heart to believe in Jesus, it is an almighty work on the order of creation when he says, let there be light. Now in Isaiah 40, he's saying that uh, when God converts someone, you remember, John says, be ye converted, and then he turns around and says, uh, you can't do it to yourself, I can't do it to you, but uh, I only baptize with water, but he who baptizes with the Spirit, he can make children of Abraham, soft-hearted, believing children out of stone, uh, just as the Lord would promise to do in Jeremiah and Ezekiel by his Spirit and the pouring out of his Spirit, uh, which is signified especially in Ezekiel by the pouring out of water. It is an almighty work uh, to make a heart soft in order that it is ready to receive and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an almighty work to make the heart alive. Uh, and so the word picture here is as if there are mountains in our hearts that need to be knocked down. It's something that, of course, we are unable to do. But here comes the word of God saying that this will happen, that the Lord will come and the Lord will prepare our hearts uh, to know him, to see him, to believe in him, to belong to him. How sure is it? Well, that, that last part of verse 5 is one of those, this is absolutely sure, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. If the mouth of the Lord has said it, it shall certainly come to pass. Praise God. It's very similar in conveying the certainty and without a doubt uh, aspect as that uh, double or two-sided um, in verse 2. So that's the first thing. Uh, prepare the way, and that the Lord is the one who will do it by his power. But we are commanded to be soft-hearted to him, to believe in him. So as we as we do that, of course, we must do so in dependence upon him. Um, but we must, in dependence upon him, do it. The uh, second, uh, second voice then uh, announces that human love fails, but divine love is forever. That yes, uh, we are to turn to him, we are to prepare the way, 
Uh, we do this in dependence upon him, and did he, indeed he is the one who does it in us. But we must remember that it is God's love towards us that is going to accomplish this, not our love towards him. And if we remember the whole book of Isaiah, which is why I always say, phew, because the book of Isaiah began with all that God had done for Israel. And they did not stay steady in their love for him. They betrayed him and sinned against him and abandoned him, trusted in themselves, trusted in Assyria, trusted uh, in Babylon, trusted other gods. Uh, and so uh, if God were just to give us a start uh, and uh, and warm our hearts to love for him, but if it were then dependent upon our love for him, uh, then it would immediately uh, fade away and wither and uh, we would still perish. And so beginning verse 6, the voice said, cry out. He said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its... Uh, and I don't know why translations do this. New King James says loveliness. Uh, most other translations say something like loveliness or beauty. Uh, but it's chesed, covenant love. Now, the covenant love of flesh is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Our love to God... Our covenant love to God is not like his love to us, which is always steady and perfect. Our love to him is so poor and weak, even in its best moments. And those best moments are few and far between. But here, verses 6 through 8 say, if God has said that he is going to comfort, that he is going to save, that he is going to make alive, that he is going to, to make us to love him, that is what we can rest our hope on. Uh, and so uh, all flesh is grass and its covenant love, its love to God is like the flower of the field, its loyalty. Sometimes the word chesed is used between men for their loyalty or love uh, to one another. And uh, sometimes by God's grace, uh, it is rich and strong, uh, humanly speaking. For instance, when uh, when David, after he had been established in his kingship, was looking for a descendant of Saul. Uh, he says, is there not anyone left from the household of Saul to whom I may show some chesed? Uh, and uh, uh, it's a word that sometimes means love between men, but David really does mean, doesn't he? A love towards someone from the house of Saul that is like unto the love that God has shown towards me. And that ends up being Mephibosheth, the, the man who is lame and uh, they do have chesed between one another, just as there is chesed between uh, David and Jonathan. But our chesed is culpable. Our best love, verse 6, actually deserves the wrath of God, uh, verse 7. And yet God has determined by his word to deliver us from his own wrath and to work in us by his grace. And so uh, you have the same sort of confidence, the confidence of the two-sided writing at the end of verse 2, uh, and then the confidence at the end of voice 1 in verse 5, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. And now the confidence that uh, the Lord's love uh, is not like ours because it stands on his word. Verse 8, the word of our God stands forever. Uh, and it is the strength of the word then that is the, the main point in the third voice. The third voice with the glad tidings of God himself. Zion here uh, being addressed as a sort of prophet. 
uh, which continues today. The church, the scripture tells us, is a pillar and buttress of truth. It is entrusted with the truth of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. And so Zion here is told, Zion, you who bring good tidings. Uh, twice in verse 9, Zion is identified. For Zion, you who bring good tidings. And then uh, the second time, Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings. He says, get up into the high mountain, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up. Be not afraid, say to the cities of Judah, that is announced to God's people in the preaching of his gospel, of his good tidings, behold your God. Uh, and so there's a command in verse 9 to preach with strength because the one who is being preached and his gospel that is being preached, he is a God of strength and his gospel is a strong gospel. And you see that in verse 10 then. Why verse 9? To lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Because verse 10, behold, the Lord Yahweh shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. He's decided that he is going to give his people good things. And who can stop God from giving good things to those whom he wants to give it to? Even they themselves cannot stop, stop him from doing so by their sin. Because he's going to provide atonement for that sin in Christ's cross. And he's going to overpower their stone-dead hearts by the ministry of his spirit, by the ministry of his word in the hands of his spirit. And so the end of verse 10, his reward is with him. His recompense is before him. The word is more with respect to wages than work. Although New King James says work here at the end of verse 10. And so here is God coming in almighty power and what's in his hand? What's he, what's he carrying as he comes? The good things that he is determined to give his people. And yet this almighty power that overrules all opposition is exercised in tender and gentle mercy with those to whom he is bringing good things, with you to whom he is bringing good things, you who have been brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very, uh, very stark contrast then between the strong hand and the ruling arm in verse 10 and then the gentle hand and arms uh, in verse 11, feeding his flock like a shepherd, gathering the lambs with his arm. And so you have the shepherd finding the easiest place. Why? Because those he's taken care of are sheep. Uh, and so he's he's taking his sheep to the place with the richest food and the safest circumstances and the easiest place. And there's the flock as a whole. And there are some that are uh, that are young and less able, uh, not quite able to make the leaps that they uh, it's the lambs. And so he, he gathers the lambs up in his arms, verse 11, and carries them in his bosom. Uh, there are. Uh, those that are a little too big for the gathering up into their arms, it's the, uh, the ewes who, uh, are bearing young and they're fully pregnant. And so he makes sure to lead the entire flock gently and he leads them especially gently. Uh, and you see, uh, that the almighty God who has made himself our shepherd, uh, is, uh, so careful and accommodating. He knows our weakness. He knows our circumstances. Uh, he uh, he leads us gently, takes care of us personally. This is where, by the way, the uh, wonderful line of the hymn comes from. Uh, 
Even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. You got the power of verse 10 and the chesed of verses 6 through 8 that is not like our chesed unto God, but his chesed unto us. And then, and when hoary hairs, it's the, the white hairs that start here on, on your temples. When hoary hairs shall their temples adorn like lambs. They shall still in my bosom be born and the tenderness and gentleness of God with each one of us. He is tender and gentle with you. My dear children, praise God with me too and with your mother, with all of his people. They're not just flowery words and sentimental wishes of a hymn writer. These are the strong and sure words of the almighty God. The double-sided words of verse 2, the mouth of Yahweh has spoken words of verse 5, the word of our God stands forever words of verse 8. How far we come in these 11 verses from a people who are being exiled to Babylon and think rightly that the Lord's grace to them, the word that he has spoken in the 15-year delay is good. But by the end of verse 11, the Almighty God carrying his people, leading them gently, and all delivered from his wrath, and all undergirded and established by his absolutely sure word. Indeed, that is great comfort, and it's the comfort that God commands to be preached to us in his name. May his spirit give us that comfort. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for who you are and uh, your everlasting, electing, saving love towards us and your almighty power in which you carry out the purposes of your love and salvation. And thank you for speaking and proclaiming all of this to us in absolutely sure words. We pray that your spirit would indeed write the truth of it on our hearts, that he would prepare the way by making our hearts alive and tender and soft to receive and know and be sure of your word. How we thank you for your great love to us. Oh God, help us that we might become more consistent and um, more diligent, more zealous in our love to you. Thank you that you will uh, at last have done it. And we look forward to beholding your glory as those whom you have made suitable to do so. Grant it, we ask then. In Jesus' name, amen.